for tuning in to the 331st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you all for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, IR Radio, SoundCloud, or whatever podcasting app or platform you may be listening to me via. Going to have a great podcast for all you guys today. Going to have Harrison Fagan on, Lakers beat writer and editor-in-chief for Lakers SBN Nation. So that should be a fun conversation. Going to talk about Westbrook getting traded to the Lakers, LeBron, the West, uh, a lot of others, some maybe general NBA stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff I definitely want to talk about with Harrison. Now, before we get to that conversation, I want to give my shameless plug. First time listening to the podcast, thank you. But subscribe and follow right now, like right now. Also, share this podcast with your friends and family, whether it be via Reddit threads or Facebook group chats, etc., etc. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, Daryl Lang. There is content back up on there. Uh, Three to five minute clips of this podcast right here. My syndicate show, Outside the Shop, which I do every day. So definitely subscribe to my YouTube channel. Type in Daryl Lang. Follow me on Twitter, at NightTrain underscore Lane. I'll say it again, at NightTrain underscore Lane. And lastly, if you have Apple or you have iTunes, then give me a great comment and a five-star review. And for some odd reason, right, if you don't like the pod, then don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And cut up next up the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Harrison Fagan on the show. Cut up next up the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. We have a very special guest with us, Harrison Fagan, Lakers beat writer and editor-in-chief for the Silver Screen and Roll. How you doing, man? You know, I'm doing well. Like I told you right before we were going on air, I got, you know, I got some coffee in me. It's my day off, so I'm just, uh, I'm relaxing. I'm feeling good. How are you? I'm doing great. Surviving and living. So... That's all any of us can do, like, the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. That, that, that's an understatement, man. That, that is an understatement. Yeah. There will be, uh, on a quick note, right, I think there's going to be, like, a 30 for 30 just about everything that's happened, especially, like, sports-wise and all these different leagues and just how it's affected oh, everything. Yeah. From, like, I think the Olympics got postponed from all these leagues stopping. Like, I think there's just going to be a huge 30 for 30 on all of this. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be 30, I think there's going to be multiple. I mean, there's going to be one just on the NBA bubble and how strange all of that was. And, you know, there will probably be one on, uh, you know, like the WNBA bubble and how different, or maybe on both at the same time. Or, like, I mean, who knows? We may get a 30 for 30 just on the meeting at the NBA bubble when the league almost stopped. Like, you know, there's just so many things. And that's just, I'm just talking basketball now because that's the sport I'm most familiar with. But I'm sure that all of these sports have kind of crazy storylines like that that, you know, a year prior, we never would have expected. You know, we didn't even. Bubble was not in the lexicon. You know, no one was expecting a bunch of, you know, all the teams to head down to Disney World, all that stuff. It's just like things that we couldn't even fathom. You know, a year or two ago, uh, have all been happening. And yeah, I mean, there's going to be a ton of documentaries on how sports leagues 
handled all of this stuff and kind of, you know, some of the weirdness and wonkiness that came out of it at times. So I know that's the. So where were you when the whole Rudy Gobert thing happened when he got COVID and that kind of shut everything down? And like, how shocked were you? Uh, I was at home, uh, you know, just like uh, working on my laptop and stuff. And you know, we had at that point, I think we had a pre-write for like the NBA to shut down because it did seem like for a while. You know, they took reporters out of the locker room. And it's like, okay, I mean, these are half measures. Like at some point, if they're already feeling like this is necessary. They're going to stop for at least a couple weeks or something. You know, we we didn't know very much about the pandemic or how long it would last, but it was like it was seeming like they were sending heading towards at least shutting down for a couple weeks or something like that. And so we had a pre-write ready, and you know, when that news came out, I just remember jumping on it, writing it, and then just pretty much writing, you know, every update that was coming out and updating, and you know, just uh, trying to keep track of it all. But I don't think it really hit me until the next day that it's like, oh yeah, like. I don't know when the Lakers are going to play again, which is the first time in a long time that that has been true. No, and it's crazy because I remember, like, I think everybody was kind of ignorant of the pandemic, the summer guard, because I kind of remember I'm, like, in college, right? And, like, some of my friends talk, and I'm in the car with them. He's like, you know, Stanford just canceled their classes. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird. He's like, what, coach, because of COVID? And like, is school going to get canceled here? And then it did. And then we're going back. And then that night I'm watching the Jazz game. And I'm, before, it wasn't the Jazz Maybe it was the Jazz game. Uh, but... No, it wasn't because he got it and they couldn't play. I was thinking it was the Knicks game. The Knicks were playing or something like that. And I'm watching with my dad and my yeah, friend. Yeah, they finished out the game that night. And then, uh, like, and then, like, I think one of them, they called it at halftime, if I remember it correctly. They just, like, the players did not want to come back yeah. out and take the floor. They were just like, why yeah. are we doing this? And then I just remember watching it with my dad and, and one of my friends. And then Woj comes on. It's like a Woj bow drops. And I'm like, the you know, season is can't, like, indefinitely, suspended indefinitely, I think that was the word, not necessarily canceled, but suspended indefinitely, and then I think maybe even before that, I think college, because the March Madness was going on, and college basketball got canceled, and then I was like, there were a couple tournaments, I think, that, like, started playing without fans, I don't think they got, I think the NBA was the first to actually cancel, if I remember correctly, okay, it was them first, no, and then it might have been college, like, Maybe that not even like the next morning. It like was they came pretty like boom, boom, boom right after that. I do remember that. It was very like every other sports league was like, oh, they're canceling. Like, hey, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, and then it was like the next morning. Like you're listening to all these talk shows or like first things first, the first take, and they're like, like yeah, like it's not gonna be any sports for a while. I don't think. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, no basketball? And I was like, oh, that kind of sucks. And I was like, well, then when is there gonna be? Like the whole thing was just insane. That just in the span of like a couple of days, like everything could change. Yeah, and like I mean, it ended up giving me. I remember like an early heads up that you know more stuff was coming because I'm like, okay, if the NBA has decided that this is serious enough to shut down indefinitely, like I better start like packing up some supplies and getting ready because the grocery stores were probably going to get run over and all that. And I like, I think I just barely beat the rush by like a day or two because it was within a couple of days that we, you know, we all saw social media uh, like uh, post of people like you know loading up their entire you know trucks with toilet paper and just toilet paper apparently because that was the only thing they thought they were going to need um and yeah it was just a truly a bizarre time that i will probably never forget yeah i completely agree so russell westbrook gets traded to the lakers what were your initial thoughts as that trade's going down i th- i think my initial reaction was this is probably their best option to get better of a lot of kind of imperfect solutions because there was no, you know, I feel like too often we try to oversimplify this stuff and, you know, just boil it down to like, okay, here's my opinion. This is why this is right. Whatever. Like, I think the 
who are real, uh, really behind LeBron. They clearly wanted to get a superstar point guard, you know, based on the guys that they were connected to. There was Lowry, there was, you know, Chris Paul to some degree, there were, you know, a couple other guys, and it was like all of them basically would have had to get signed and traded to the Lakers. And so if they were going to do that, and then if you sign and trade, you're hard capped. And they were going to be extremely limited in how they could add to the roster and basically be financially hamstrung all year. And so if you can get Russ and then you can still have your mid-level to go out and get guys and you can still, you know, have be able to exceed the cap and things like that, I, I just think that giving up a bunch of assets for him made a lot more sense in a vacuum than trying to, uh, you know, get someone else and hard capping yourself and really, really limiting the supporting cast and depth even more than it already is. So I think that they made the best of, you know, obviously not a great ending to the season and they needed to make upgrades and things like that. And I certainly thought, you know, okay, so they traded for Russ. This is going to clear the way for them to keep Alex Caruso, keep Taylor Horton Tucker. I ended up being half right. But, you know, they could have, if they would have traded for a superstar, you know, you know, sign and trade, point guard, whatever, uh, done the sign and trade thing, then they would have been hard capped and they couldn't have kept either of those guys. At least this way, they kept. And they were able to still have their mid-level to go out and get Kendrick Nunn. And they have more reinforcements than they would have had if, you know, they were making another one of those deals. And I think that they needed another guy that can kind of take that, um, take a little bit of pressure off of LeBron, like to handle those units when he fits. And if you're thinking about a guy like, okay, like who is the closest to kind of mini LeBron in the league, it's Westbrook. You know, he's obviously not LeBron, but the problem with LeBron teams have had for years, and it's why they've never had a positive net rating with him on the bench, is that you can't replicate LeBron, and so do you have an entirely new system for your bench? Like, what do you do? And Westbrook, I think, is one of the few players, or maybe the only player that LeBron's ever played with, that allows you to kind of, you know, have a facsimile of what he does out on the floor, in terms of, like, the rim attacking, the playmaking, all of that. So... How much better does Westbrook make the Lakers? Like, like how much percentage of this better does this make LA? You mean in terms of from last year? Yes. Or from yeah. Just the, I mean, from last year, I'd say it's got to be like uh, like ten to twenty percent. I don't know, probably ten percent better. You know, because I think that team was pretty good if they didn't if they didn't get hurt and they didn't get injured. So you know, I don't want to undersell you know my analysis of that team from last year, you know, like uh, act like I saw all these flaws or whatever. You know, ultimately they got done in by injuries and they we, we might be talking about them as back-to-back chance that they had. I'm not saying that it certainly would have happened, but I still do think that Westbrook improves them just because of how unreliable we saw Dennis Schroeder prove to be down the stretch of the season. They just needed someone that they could count on for a little bit more than that. And so I think if you look at him as essentially a Schroeder replacement, then, you know, I mean, it's pretty obvious that he makes this team a lot better. Because whenever you think of Dennis and, you know, if you think he's better than what he showed down the stretch of last season, he's still not Russell Westbrook, you know. Like, he's going to make a lot less than him this year. But, you know, that production, that contract doesn't matter when you're out on the floor. Like, you know, in terms of a basketball replacement, they did pretty well to upgrade there, I'd say. What would you say to the critics of the trade who say, well, this team just can't shoot now and Westbrook can't shoot? Well, so I would have had very little rebuttal for them when they were all saying that right after the trade went down. I'm like, oh, you know, wait a second. I'm not saying that they're going to get, like, 10 Kyle Corbers or something, you know, on the roster. But, you know, they have, like, 13 open spaces or whatever it was that far. Like, I think it was, like, 11 or 12, or 10 or 11 at that point. It's like, let's see who they sign in free agency before we say they can't shoot. And, you 
times, but every, basically every other lineup that they can play, I think, is going to score like gangbusters. I think this is going to be a really good offensive team. Now that they've actually added those shooters that they didn't have before. But doesn't AD want to keep playing power forward, though? Like, wasn't that his thing? No, certainly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I think, but I'm talking about the kind of staggered two-star lineup. Okay. I think they're going to score like crazy with AD out there. And I think, um, you know, I think he will play, you know, the, the last season that he was fully healthy, the 2019-20 uh, uh, season, he played about 40% of his minutes at power forward or at center uh, during the regular season. I would expect him to go back closer to that number, if not maybe even a little higher, even with DeAndre Jordan and Dwight. It, 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 yeah, DeAndre Jordan and Dwight are not going to split 48 minutes a game at center. AD is going to play a decent amount there, I think especially down, uh, down the closing stretch of games. So, here would be my one thing, right? I, I think the trade helps in this regard. I think it helps in the regular season for sure, and particularly with a team that they had injuries, right, to LeBron and AD throughout the season. This gives you a third guy who you know can get you 40 points any given night. If it's a Tuesday in Charlotte, you, you know you're not worried. We're going to have a guy who can create, and he can create for others. I think that is great. I, I think that's great for them. I think that's also going to help them in terms of positioning where maybe they won't fall as much, right, if... LeBron, because he's older and AD has an injury history if those guys get hurt. But where my question is... In, in or the, if they just need to sit a couple games. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, like, Russ may have to sit too. But yeah, anyway. That, no, that's very true. But I, I guess where, where my concern comes in is in the, in the postseason. I mean, that, that's to me, that's all fine if, you know, when LeBron's off the court and you, you're going to give Russ the ball. But I think we've seen, like, throughout LeBron's career, like, in the postseason, like, LeBron's playing almost, like, 44 minutes a game. Like, LeBron's going to be playing yeah, almost yeah. the whole game. And, and and you want the ball in LeBron's hands. Like, you, you want the ball in LeBron's hands. I, I don't know if necessarily the thing is, oh, let's have the ball in Russ's hands. Like, you know, LeBron is one of the best decision makers in the league, one of the best decision makers of all time. You want the freaking ball in LeBron's hands. I don't know if you necessarily want it in Russ's hands. And then, I guess my thing is sometimes I think Russ – as great as he is, as talented as he, as he is, as exciting as he is, sometimes I feel like he has tunnel vision. I think we've seen this throughout his career where, you know, maybe sometimes... You, trust me, you're not the only one to think that. I, I think everybody knows that. Yeah, I mean, uh, he certainly has been prone to that at times during his career. So so I, I guess to me, I guess my end up, what I end up thinking is it becomes redundant because, you know, you want LeBron, you want somebody to take the ball out of LeBron's hands a little bit, but in the postseason, that's probably not going to happen as much as we would think. The, the ball is going to be in LeBron's hands when it comes down to it. Yeah, so I, I think that that's a valid point, and I do think that, like, yeah, I mean, he's rough throughout his career, has not shown to be as good of a res- uh, fit in that respect as, you know, Dwayne Wade ultimately was. He became a really, really good kind of slithery off-ball player, you know, when those heat teams kind of figured it out. At first, there were some, you know, there were some similar questions as we're getting right now in terms of, you know, what is he going to do? And they, they sort of figured that out. And and Kyrie, obviously, wrestles not anywhere close to the level of shooter that Kyrie is where he, he can still kind of stretch the floor that way and threaten defense that way as, you know, a secondary attacker, but also as just a straight-up floor spacer. Um, the thing that, and, like, shameless plug here, but, you know, we had on Silver Screen Roll, my uh, my colleague Jacob Rue broke down the Lakers-Rockets playoff series from two years ago and how the Lakers neutralized Russ and kind of, you know, the most recent playoff tapes that he really left in anyone's mouth because I don't think anybody watched the Wizards run this year and he wasn't really healthy for it anyway. And, you know, uh, what they only played in the first round, and I think they got gentlemen swept. So I think the lasting image, at least most Lakers fans have of Russ in the playoffs, is that Rocket series when he looked pretty much totally ineffective, you know, against the Lakers defense. And it's like, wait, you guys just completely neutralized this guy. Why are you 
encourage anyone to check it out. But essentially, the conclusion that that he reached and that I agree with is that you know, number one, Russ was hurt at that point, and number two, like it's easy to say, oh, okay, you're just going to sag off of Russ, but like. Who are you going to have back off of Russ? Because if you're just giving him an open run ray, uh, runway to gather speed and get to the rim, I mean, you're not going to win 100% of those battles. You know what I mean? Like, if you just give him a, a free two steps heading towards the rim, like, he's going to end up getting some good shots out of that or end up drawing some fouls or things like that. And the, the thing that the Lakers have or have that most other teams don't have is a guy like Anthony Davis that can not only become Russell Westbrook's primary defender as a power forward slash center slash supersized wing that plays the big man position essentially, you know, but also a guy that you can have, like, guard him one-on-one, but then help off of him, you know, and still recover in time and still have the length and foot speed to get hands up and threaten his shots to the rim without fouling. He only, in 85 possessions, AD only fouls Russ once. I just don't think that there's a whole lot of guys that can manage to uh, you know, have that effect and have that kind of effectiveness in neutralizing him. I do think that there are legitimate concerns. I think that there are going to be, like, Russ is going to have to figure out a little bit more ways to be effective off-ball than he's had to during his career. But, you know, if this isn't a situation where he's going to kind of decide and to prioritize that and think that that's important, then it's just never going to happen. And, again, I'm just not sure that the alternatives were necessarily raised the Lakers' ceiling very much higher. And, and when you mention that, how big – of a moment do you think this is for Russ's career potentially? Because let's say, you know, he does everything you're talking about, right? And he kind of reigns, similar to like Dwayne Wade, like a souped up Dwayne Wade, like, like kind of like that. And it accepts like, I'm the third guy. Like, oh, and wow. you, just made a, you just made a lot of heat pants really mad calling, calling Russ a souped up Dwayne Wade. Well, well, well. You're going to get some angry tweets after this one. 2012, 2013 Dwayne Wade is not 2006 Dwayne Wade. I just want to preface yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> Different years, not not not, not prime D Wade. We're talking about <laughs> post multiple knee surgery D Wade. But if he yeah. can even be, you know, that type of guy, like, how much do you think that adds to Russell Westbrook's career? Because Russ has been a guy that you know he's won MVPs. He's been on All NBA first teams. He's been in the MVP conversation numerous years. He's been to a finals, but everybody's always like, can't win. Doesn't do the stuff need to win. People don't like playing with them, et cetera, et cetera. How big do you think that would be for Russ's career? I mean, it's everything you just said, right? It's, it's the one thing he doesn't have left at this point is the ring, and that has to be, you know, as much as coming home, and I'm sure it's a great story, and it does seem like based on some of the reporting that that's something that he's wanted to do for a while, you know, whether it was with the Clippers or the Lakers, but, I mean, coming home to the team that he grew up rooting for, that's great, but, I mean, he wouldn't be here if the Lakers were terrible. You know, we saw that, you know, during the lottery years and stuff. Guys were not wanting to sign on and just, just because of L.A., just because of the Lakers, like, he clearly wants to come here because he thinks he has a chance to win. And, I, I mean, you know, he can say that he doesn't have anything to prove to anyone, and that's true. But as a competitor, you know, how could you not want to prove to yourself? Like, okay, this is the one thing that I haven't done. I want to get this done. I want to win a title. I've been close before. I want to make sure that I actually get it done this time and add this one kind of last thing to my resume, to my own personal achievements, to my own person. Check this off my list of goals. Like, I, I mean... Like I said, if it's not going to happen now, it's just never going to happen for him. And I think that that has to be uh, sort of a consideration here and probably a motivating factor out of heaven. I don't think that he is, you know, choosing to team up with LeBron and Anthony Davis, you know, because he thinks that he's going to have the ball in his hands all the time. You know, uh, obviously that stuff is easier to discuss over wine while you're laughing at LeBron's house and whatever. And it's different to actually do it for 82 games plus the postseason. But I do think that there are reasons to believe and reasons 
ball out of LeBron's hands. But, but you know, he's not going to make every single play and things like that. And I do think that there is something to be said for kind of the change of pace that Russ can bring and get LeBron a couple easy buckets as he ages and things like that, even in the playoffs, and get him some opportunities to cut to the basket and create things for others and use him as almost like the most overqualified decoy at times in NBA history. I think that there's some ways that they can get creative and make this work. But again, I mean, there are questions. They're, they're going to have to figure it out to how to get enough shooting on the floor with those three guys, none of whom are exemplary three-point shooters, to, you know, kind of make all of this work and still be able to defend at a high enough level to make it all work. I mean, there are questions, but I still think they're going to be really good. And I agree. LeBron can do anything he wants. I would just, you know, I, 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 I need the ball in LeBron's hands when it comes down to it. That, that's... Yeah, no, I mean, look, he's arguably the, you know, the, to me, he's the best player in NBA history, certainly the best playmaker ever. And I think, yeah, I mean, of course you don't want to take the ball out of his hands more than you have to. Yeah. It's like, hey, Mike, Mike, hey, just pass. Don't shoot anymore, Mike. It's like, you know, we, we you might you might be able to pass, but we, we pay we you to shoot. We to Rodman some touches at the top of the key. <laughs> How Michael Jordan would never go for that. But how do you think, what do you think Russ's impact will be uh, positive or negatively on the defensive end? Because I think a lot of people focus on the offensive end, but how do you think it's going to affect him on the defensive end? What do you think his impact will be or lack thereof? Yeah, so, you know, I think that this is in a lot of ways, ironically, a little bit, this is where the downgrade on Dennis Schroeder comes in, which is ironic considering, you know, Dennis is a small guy, not necessarily known for his defense, but he was a really, really good point of attack defender for the Lakers last year when he was healthy, you know, like, uh, but prior to his, you know, second health and safety protocols absence of the year, he was a really, really strong, uh, like, you know, kind of point of attack defender for the Lakers that kind of picking up ball handlers full court and disrupting offenses and things like that. And we'll have to see if Russ commits to that end for now. I think it's a little bit of a downgrade defensively, but I think there's enough extra offensive there and, you know, in terms of the additions. And I think that they have, you know, I think Russ having to defend and being asked to do kind of a more limited role in terms of, okay, just funnel guys here so the AD can clean it up or so that Dwight can take care of it or whatever is a little different than maybe some of the guys that he's been playing with over the last several years. That's fair. Speaking of Dennis Schroeder... Like, look, if he's, again, I, keep, I hate to keep going back to this, but if he's not going to buy into defense now at this point in this situation, then it's just never going to happen, you know? That's fair. If, if it doesn't work, actually, if it doesn't work, can they trade him? Would you think that would happen? You know, I never say never because I thought that Dennis was going to be here for several years, you know? There, I, yeah, I never, you never know with this team and how quickly they, you know, will flip pieces at times. And, you know, there are already, you know, there were already people speculating when the trade got made, like, oh, you know, Russ, they could, uh, they could use him when they finally demand the trade. <laughs> That's a contract that lines up. And, you know, I don't, part of me thinks they wouldn't do that, but it would depend on how the season ends. You know, if, if it ends in a first round out, then I think that gives you some cover to go seek out upgrades and things, even on the hometown kid that you just sold as the third star, greatest point guard since Magic Johnson that the Lakers had, all this stuff. You know, you can do that if they flame out, but if they go pretty far or it's clear that, like, you know, they go, like, conference finals or whatever, I'm not sure that they would. I mean, if it's for Dame, I think you probably still have to do it or whatever, but I definitely think that from an off-the-court, like, image around the league type perspective, it might be a little tougher sell type thing. So speaking of Dennis Schroeder, but he only, I mean, it's certainly not an untradeable contract in a vacuum. No. Like if you take out like how do you treat people, all this stuff, things that they have generally prided themselves on, especially in terms of stars. Like we treat stars well, 
that's kind of been their mantra since Rob Polinka took over. Um, you know, if you take all of that out of it, you know, Russ, you know, his contract is certainly tradable next year when uh, there will only be one year left. There's, there's no such thing as an untradable one-year deal. And that is very true. So, with Dennis, how big of a debacle do you think that whole contract ordeal was? Uh, you mean for him or for the for the Lakers? For him. Uh, for him, a huge one. I mean, I don't know. Again, we're never going to know, you know, whether it was his agent was the driving force behind, hey, turn it down, there's going to be more available to you. Like, or if it was Dennis, like, you know, and that kind of self-assuredness that it took him to get to the level that he's gotten to being like, no, like, I'm as good as all of these guys. I'm going to prove it, and it just kind of backfired. So, I mean, we're not going to know exactly where that came from. I'd imagine it was probably a little bit of both because – I think if your agent is telling you, like, hey, you know, because these agents, they do the research on who's going to have cap space, what these teams are thinking, what they're thinking about looking for, and they kind of, they gauge a sense of what the market is going to be for their clients. And, you know, if, if Dennis's agent could have foreseen something like this, he surely would have been telling Dennis about it. So I think, again, I, I think it's a little bit on both, but the fact that we haven't gotten the news leak like Dennis Schroeder has fired his agent makes me think that it's a little bit more on Dennis, or at least he's taking a little bit more personal responsibility for it. When it comes down to it, what do you think the Lakers' go-to lineup is going to be this year? Like, their best lineup? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I've, been, I've actually been uh, I've been thinking about this, and they, they, they have a lot of options. I mean, obviously, so it's the three stars. Um, like, cause you just have to, you know, it can't be their best lineup and not have those three guys. You know, because if, if their best lineup doesn't have those three guys, then the trade went horribly wrong. <laughs> um, so, I think, so... Let's go with the three stars. I think Bazemore probably just because he gives you a little bit of kind of the two-way play that I think that you need from that lineup, a guy who can be defensively versatile but also hit enough threes, ideally to kind of keep defenses honest and make it work. And um, I almost said Coos. I'm like, that's like force of habit. Um, like, uh, who would be my fifth? That's a very good question. Um, maybe Malik Monk. Um, uh, Malik Monk or Kendrick Nunn, I think would probably, or, or Taylor Horton Tucker, I guess. But now I'm being coward picking three guys. Um, I will go, I'm going to go Nunn just because I think he's shown the most. I'm actually like, I'm very curious to see what Monk looks like on this team, but I, I would go Nunn there. And why do you think that's their best lineup? Well, like, well, what specifically, you know, makes that their best lineup for you? I mean, it's AD at the five, and you have enough. You have two guys that are good enough shooters in uh, in uh, Batesmore and Nunn to keep defenses honest while still having, I think, a little bit defense. I mean, Batesmore is a much better defender than Nunn has shown so far. I think Nunn is, you know, he showed to be, you know, uh, he's better than a bad defender. He's an okay defender, I would say, based on what I've kind of seen from his time in Miami. Uh, you know, obviously, he's not a guy that's going to make an all-defensive team in his career, but he's okay, and he gives you enough shooting on the other end to kind of get you sort of a little bit of two-way play, and that's kind of, I think, what stylistically you'd want from those two, like, the non-star spots. And then, you know, if you have AD at the five, you can have Russ and LeBron running pick-and-rolls with him. But, you know, if Russ is running a pick-and-roll with AD, then, you know, you can have LeBron cutting off the ball, making himself a threat, attacking as a secondary attacker, you know, and then you have enough defense on the floor to make it work. And I, I just think that the number one key to unlocking the Lakers' best lineup is AD at the five, generally. So, the Lakers' best lineup does not include Carmelo Anthony. <laughs> no, I 
I know. Yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, I, you know, look, I, I think that you can make an argument for him to be in there. I just think that it's a little bit of like a weird. I guess with if LeBron is the only other big man, I guess you could kind of make that work with him as the small. I, I just think he'd get hunted so much defensively that for me, that's not. That, I, I can't imagine that that's the way that Frank Vogel is going to go. Although maybe you know, I'm sure there will be a couple games this year where they close with Melo and just kind of give him a chance. And you know, like. I'm sure him and LeBron have wanted to close games uh, together, you know, since they were in high school. So, like, I'm sure they'll get a chance at times this year. I just think when it matters, I, I can't imagine that's going to be the one just because of the defensive concern. Is the age of the Lakers overstated? Because people keep trying to make jokes, like, you know, like they're the grandfather team, oldest team in the NBA. Do you think that's a little overstated? I think that it's become overstated just because of the way that people kind of criticize it. I think, like, the old jokes, whatever, like, you know, I, I think it was funny at first, but I think it's getting a little old and tired now. Um, you know, I, I mean, obviously, you know, I made, uh, we made as many memes as anyone. We, like, old Photoshop the Lakers, did, like, the old fake filter on them and stuff, like, what people think the Lakers look like and, you know, stuff like that. You know, and, it, like, it's all in good fun if you're doing it, that, like, it's fun. But if you're using it as, like, a basketball criticism of the team, I mean, all of these guys can still play. Now, I think the one area where maybe it concerns you is, are they all going to be able to stay healthy? But that's also why you sign a bunch of guys that can play, because there are going to be times where guys have to sit, guys get injured, whatever, and hopefully you have some depth there to back it up. So I do think it's become a little bit overstated, but, you know, it, it has to be a concern. It's one of the main concerns, I would say, about the team, is can they stay healthy enough with this many guys that are kind of at this age of their careers? Yeah, it's like LeBron's old. That is true, but he's still better at basketball than what, like ninety nine percent of people on earth. Yeah. Worst case scenario. He didn't get hurt last year because he was old. He got hurt last year because he landed on someone's ankle. You know, yeah. it's like there's that's not an age thing. That's just it happens. You know, I, I don't even think that it was like I mean Solomon Hill probably should have known better than to be diving for you know a ball that someone was dribbling like that in a regular season game. That's not a play that you see a lot of guys make, but it also was hardly like some malicious thing where he was trying to hurt him. He was just probably. You know, he probably shouldn't have been doing that, but it, it is what it is. So we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then come up next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to talk some more Lakers. Come up next at the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barstow Sports Talk. We still have Harrison Fagan with us. So, top teams out west. Who can be the biggest threat to the Lakers in the Western Conference? You know, this is the one that I feel like I get asked on, like, every single podcast thing that I do. And I'm not sure that I have come up with, like, an answer that I'm in love with. But I, I feel like it's potentially the Warriors if, like, everything kind of starts to go right for them again, if Clay comes back healthy, all of that stuff. There's just not another team in this conference that I feel like the Lakers, when healthy, wouldn't be kind of the heavy, heavy favorites against. I mean, like, I don't know. Who do you feel like is the biggest threat to them in the West? Like, am I way off base? Uh, Phoenix? I mean... Uh, I just feel like the Lakers... I just feel like they have no answer for AD. So, yeah, if AD gets hurt again, then maybe they have a shot. But, like, I, I just, you know, I think the Lakers were taking control of that series and pretty clearly had it in the bag before AD got hurt. So I'm not, like, that worried about Phoenix. Well, I guess with Phoenix, here's what I'll say, right? Like, they have a young team, so, like, 
Theoretically, right? How, yeah, no, they should get better. That's fair. If Devin, let's say, how many more levels does Devin Booker have? DeAndre Aiden, how many more levels does he have? Or even a guy like Mikel Bridges, who, you know, some people are saying, like, he could end up being, like, this 3D guy, kind of similar to how Kawhi and Paul George were. And I'm not saying he's going to be that, but he's a guy that maybe, you know, we, we could be looking at, and he becomes, you know, maybe a little bit more than just, quote-unquote, the 3 and D guy. So, I mean, like, if those guys take a take some steps, well, which is possible, if they jump some levels and Chris Paul is the same, I think that could be interesting. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, uh, the, you know, I, I just think that I like the Warriors' upside a little bit more okay. with those three stars if they can kind of get going again. And, you know, that's an open question for all of them. For I mean, Steph I'm, not, Steph I'm not worried about, but I guess Draymond, you know, can he start to kind of, you know, get a little bit closer to the level that he was a couple of years ago, and we'll, we'll see about that now that he's on like, kind of a team with a real chance to compete. And, you know, what does Clay look like after two major injuries and sitting out two years and all that? But all, all that's an open question. I just think if those guys are healthy and rolling, then that team can be really good. I, again, they're not going to be the 2015 Warriors because they're not as deep, but I think that if I was picking a team that could get the way through some problems, a team like that with that much offensive firepower. And I'd also say, potentially the Nuggets, if, I feel like there's a move that they can make, because they still have Michael Porter if, Jr. Yeah, if they, if they trade Murray for someone who can contribute right now, or Murray comes back and just like looks really good right out of the gate, that seems unlikely, but you know, let's just bear with Like, if that's possible and that's what happens, then yeah, I mean, I really like them as well. Or even if, it, or if they are able to do something like trade Michael Porter Jr. for somebody really good. or Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's another option to them. Yeah, I mean, we definitely shouldn't... The Nuggets have to make a move, but they certainly could be in there. As well. Like, if they're one move away from being, you know, that clear or far and away that second team in the West. Yeah, like, for example, if they were... You know, I know Harden wouldn't have because that was last year, but they found a way to get a player like that. Or maybe even Dame, if they found a way to get, you know, another one of those guys, I think they could become very... Well, man, it, it, Well, and I'll, I'll tell you this, in terms of if it does, or, you know, if it does happen, right, like, a Michael Porter package, I mean, is that, I feel like that would be, in terms of if Portland thinks Dame is out the door, that's probably better than what most yeah. teams are, because, yeah. right? Yeah, no, I mean, maybe it, maybe that's something that happens, and that, that would definitely vault them up there, because Dame and Jokic would be, like, a, that, that would be an obscene offensive team. Yeah, so I, I think Denver has a move, but but I would agree. I think right now, you know, we have the Warriors, but I would say potentially the Suns and the Nuggets. And I guess, you know, the Clippers, like if, if Kawhi comes back, are the Clippers, or, or is everybody kind of done with that? I can't, you know, that, that's, that's one that, I, you know, people bring up as like a counterpoint to the Warriors or whatever. I just think like, you know, I like the Clippers when they're, when they're healthy. Like I think they're a good team, but I, I just can't see Kawhi, you know, coming back this season with the way that he's handled injuries and the way that they've been extremely, extremely cautious about, you know, not rushing him back. Like, we're not giving a timetable. We're not this, we're not that. Like, I I think that, that, you know, him taking that deal is the writing's on the wall like he's not going to play this year. But I guess we'll see. But I I don't really even see him playing this season. So this is just a pun year. Has the Clippers whole, like, Paul George Kawhi thing just been an utter failure? It made them relevant, I guess. So it's not, I guess not totally, which is something they really haven't 
in, uh, you know, other than, I guess, like the Blake CP3 years, and this feels like it made them even more relevant than those teams. Those teams are always considered, like, dark horse contenders, but not, like, true. Like, the Clippers were the favorite, you know, two years ago. And, yeah, I mean, if you look at it in the, through the lens of, like, did they win a title or not, certainly it's been a failure so far. But I think if you look at it for a team that hasn't had very many meaningful accomplishments, like, you know, getting to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in franchise history, like, that's something. You know, we all love to clown on the Clippers, me as much as anyone. But, you know, I think failure is a strong word. I think... Obviously, it has not gone the way that they hoped, but I don't think failure. I think it's like they've come up short. I don't know. I would use softer terms. Do you think Kawhi's been overrated? That is a good question. Um, When healthy, no. But I just think I'm starting to wonder, you know, about his health long term. We've just heard so much about, like, is this a degenerative calf thing? Is it, you know, like, what is going on with his body where it takes him so long to recover, where he has to sit out so much, he's only getting older, he, you know, just took a max deal, you know, rather than, you know, play it out and try to get paid next summer. Like, I just, I do wonder about his health as much as anything. Yeah, that whole Kawhi thing is just very interesting. Even how the whole injury thing you know, seemed to happen in the play- playoffs last year where it was kind of weird. Like, they didn't... Did you not find that weird? Like, they didn't announce if he was out indefinitely, like... Or, or if his the season was... I, I didn't find that part of it weird just because a lot of times teams will do that, like, be really, really coy about injuries just so that, you know, out of the hopes that basically, you know, their team will continue to use some time and resources game planning toward Kawhi that they aren't using on other stuff, I guess. That's fair. That that That's fair. Like, I feel like during the playoffs, teams always lie about injury stuff like that. So I wasn't, like, that surprised by that. But if he's out, I guess my thing is, do pe- like, if he's out-out, like, if he's clearly not going to play again, like, then at that point, does I it... I just wonder if they knew that. I, I, because based on the timing of when he had the surgery and whatever and how many specialists he was trying to see, I just wonder if they knew for sure that he was out-out or if they thought, you know, like, he's going to get a second opinion, he's trying to figure this out. Like, did they really think he was trying to come back or were they just being coy? I mean, we'll never know. No, that, that's fair. So, to go back to the Warriors, do you think it's possible that the Warriors could make a move? Because there's been talks about potentially a Ben Simmons. If they got that, do, do you think how much do you think that would help that team in terms of being able to compete out West? It depends on what they give up, but if it's just the young guys, then I, I think how can that not make them better? Obviously, you know, there are shooting concerns there, but, you know, what, what the one team that Ben Simmons would go into is still, you know, automatically have enough spacing basically no matter who was on the floor with him is the Warriors because, you know, they have they have Clay and Steph and, you know, all kinds of off-ball threats to the point where you can't just, uh, like, completely, you know, uh, like, crash down on Simmons and things like that. So I, I think that that would be, you know, that would all, uh, that would put them even further ahead from the pack in terms of my, like, biggest threat to the Lakers rankings in the West. Do you think Clay's going to be the I really same? like Ben Simmons. I think that the Sixers are not a good fit for him. I don't really blame them for trying to move on, but I, I still think that in a different situation, not even necessarily a better situation, just a better situation for his talent, because the Sixers are obviously good. Like I, I just think that he needs to go to a place where he's a little bit more optimized, and obviously there they can't do that. They have Embiid, and you know, that's just out of the question. They're not going to run their offense around having Embiid face the floor for Ben Simmons and stuff like that. But don't you think it's crazy that he just kind of, like, refuses to shoot, though? Oh, well, I mean, sure, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that, that's definitely crazy. Well, I guess, do you but think also, it... I mean, he, he sucks at shooting, so I, I sort of get it. But, yeah, I mean, like, the open layup thing that everybody brings up and whatever, like, 
there's clearly something mental going on there. Sure, that's fair. No, that's fair. And probably a change of scenery is probably best for everybody. And I think the yeah. way it's looking right now, he's, his days in Philly are probably numbered. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, given the reports that, like, he's not even going to report to training camp, like, uh, I can't imagine that this lasts very, very much longer. I, I think they'll get it done. It'll be like the Harden trade, you know, where they get it done, like, on the eve of camp or something like that. What do you think Philly could actually get back for Ben? I have no idea. That, that's the interesting part about it. Because, like, look, we talk about, okay, what's best for Ben? We said, okay, send him to the Warriors. Like, what is Philly getting out of that that they want that helps them right now while they're a contender and they're trying to build a team around Embiid? That's the, like, that's the part where I get why Maury is playing hardball. Because, like, why wouldn't you want to save Ben for if there's, like, you know, they were probably hoping that Dane demanded out so they could either get in on CJ or, you know, uh, get in on the Dane sweepstakes or whatever. Because then it's like, okay, you're trading it to a team that's getting rid of a star that is going to rebuild, and you're giving them, like, a young star that they can kind of rebuild around, take a flyer on, that kind of thing. Like, you know, but there's not a lot of teams right now. Like, you know, I think essentially they're just waiting and hoping that someone demands out, like Bradley Beal or Dane or whoever, but so that they can get someone who can help them win now for a team that is about to go into a rebuild. Because it's not like, this isn't like a star demanding a trade because, you know, they, the team can't win around them, they're just disgruntled, whatever, like, Ben's demanding a trade because he, you know, basically got blasted for their playoff failures and got scapegoated, and, like, the team is still going to be good around Joel and Embiid, almost regardless of what they do, but they're going to be trying to get the best package possible to get themselves even better. That's true. So with Clay, do you think we're going to see the old Clay ever again? So in terms about East, the Lakers, obviously I think most people would say their biggest threat is Brooklyn. Are there any other teams? Uh, out East, I mean, we can't completely discount the Bucks, although I do think, like, again, their run was a little, there's a little bit of luck to it. Uh, but yeah, those are the two main teams. I know that that's like a boring answer, but there's not another team out there that I'm that concerned about. The Heat obviously got better, but I'm still not that worried about them in a series against the Lakers. Um, and, you know, yeah, I think I think the Nets are probably the biggest worry. How concerned... Just because of the star power and because of, like, you know, there are now questions about the Lakers' defense, and now who do they have that's going to guard those three guys and stuff like that, when that's always been their calling card before. How, how do you think a matchup like that plays out? Because the thing with Brooklyn is, and I think, personally, if Brooklyn, I guess you could say that about the Lakers, you could say that about all these teams, but... Milwaukee ended up winning. Like, and Milwaukee had no answers for Brooklyn for a point in time. Giannis was kind of like dumbfounded. He was like, hey, he's just the best player in the NBA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, they, you know, I, Brooklyn was going to win that series before they got decimated by injuries. And again, like, that could happen again. That, that's a team that has a lot of guys that have been had a lot of injuries throughout their careers. You know, we can't rule that out as something that is going to end. Just like we can't with the Lakers, you know? Just because LeBron didn't get his injury because he was a little doesn't mean that it's not something that's going to have a cumulative effect on him now where, like, that's something that's maybe going to nag at him or, 
you know, like where it weakens some other stuff. Or, you know, we, we never know that these guys are going to fall off until they do. So maybe that happens. I'm not betting on it because I think that betting on LeBron declining is a good, has been a good way to look stupid for like 10 years now. Um, so I'm just not going to do it until it happens. I'm fine not being ahead on the curve of that one. Um, and I, I think that that series between the Nets and the Lakers would come down to can the Lakers score efficiently enough at the rim to kind of offset how many threes Brooklyn is going to hit. And that's a big if, but I do think that they have a team that, like, I mean, who's guarding AD on that team and who's limiting him, you know, if he's healthy? And I'm just not sure that they really have a good answer there. But, again, you know, the, the Lakers have to figure out some answers for Harden and for KD and, you know, all of that stuff. So I think that it would be a fascinating series in terms of who could come up with enough ways to kind of paper over some of their weaknesses to claw it out. I think it would be a really good series. Yeah, I think the issue with Brooklyn, too, is their three best players, Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, are all very efficient, extremely efficient, and they can all do it high volume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm sorry. I thought, I thought there, you were adding to that. Um, no, I think, uh, yeah, they're, they're a threat because they have so many guys who can also be thrust on or off the ball. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, Kyrie, you can have him go isolate, but you can't help because you're going to help off Harden, you're going to help off KD, like that's not happening. And so it's just a, it's three stars, there are a lot less fit questions about, I'd say, than like the Lakers' three stars. As much as, you know, I still think, I think people are making maybe too much of the Lakers' fit issues, but those three are certainly, I think, a little bit more seamless than the Lakers are from a basketball perspective. So, probably after the finals, most people would probably say the two best players in the NBA are probably either Giannis or Kevin Durant. Where do you think LeBron falls in that conversation? No lower than three, I think, if he's healthy. No lower than three. So, what would your top five be? Ooh. All right. uh, So, yeah, I mean, I can't say that. This is something that I think about a lot, so I will do my best. But probably... Probably KD. I think KD's got to be number one right now. I mean, we just saw him in the Olympics and, you know, like how the role that he was on against the Bucks and all of that. You know, I'd probably put – I think Giannis did go up a level in the playoffs, so I think it's fair to put him second. Um, and then I think I'd probably put LeBron third and fourth. You have Luka, AD, Kawhi. Probably, probably Luka right now. Um and then fifth, I would maybe go, like, I mean, AD is in consideration for me there. I'm trying to, I'm just, like, rolling through a list of names in my in my head to make sure that I don't look dumb. I mean, I think it's, honestly, I, I think it's probably AD or Harden. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. So much time. I personally would probably, ooh, that's tough. You know what? Honestly, I'm gonna go AD. Like, if he's healthy, I think I think I would. I know this is gonna. Everybody's gonna take this as a homer from the Lakers guy or whatever. But the the level of play that he got to in the bubble and just how perfectly complimentary he is with LeBron, I just think and his two way impact. I just really think that AD, all the injury, all the like street clothes stuff, has like undermined you know the discussion around like just how good he is. He he was not healthy at, at, at almost any point last year, and when he is, he's just you know he's unbelievable. Yeah, and I would agree. I would actually say, you know, probably optimized peak AD is better than optimized peak Harden. Uh, but I would also say, I think optimized peak AD... Like, if you're, if you're just building around one star, I think Harden's better. 
But if you're looking for like a second star and like you're trying to build a team with multiple stars, I think AD is the guy that won. Yeah, because I, I, I did I made a list uh, maybe about five, six months ago because I always thought it was interesting because people always talk about, right, uh, who can be the best player on a championship team. So I kind of did, like, who can be the best player on a championship team, the second best and third best. And I had AD in that tier where maybe he's, like, a a low one on that totem pole, but he's, like, an high, high two. Like, if Anthony da- – and the way I chopped it up is, like, if Anthony Davis is your best player – can you win a championship? I don't know. I'd have to see the rest of the roster. If Anthony Davis is your second best player, you're a really freaking good team because if somebody yeah, on your team is better than Anthony Davis, <laughs> like... He's just, he is the perfect second star, basically. That's true. He does everything. He's sort of like, he's sort of like this generation's Scotch Pippen. Like, he's a guy who could do more if put by himself, but is probably not good enough to like raise the ceiling of your team to like absolute contender on his own just because like he still needs someone to set him up and get him the ball and you know put him in position to succeed. But if he has that guy, he is an elite, elite player in terms of two way impact. That's actually a very good comparison. I, I like that Scotty Pippen. Yeah, I mean, obviously very, very different players, but I just mean in terms of, like, slotting on a team and that kind of thing. Yeah, no, like, most people would never think of Scotty as the number one, but in terms of the number two, he's extraordinary. Yeah, he's, like, the best second, uh, you know, him or Kobe are probably the best second options in NBA history, you know, depending on what you want and what you're looking for. That's very true. That is very true. So, how far, if you have LeBron at three, and he seems like... Pretty clearly, you have LeBron at three. How far is he from Giannis and KD? Like, do you think we could be like at the end of the season? Yeah, LeBron's still the best. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that. If he has a season, you know, like health permitting and all that stuff, and I don't know that this is going to be the year. I think last year may have been his last, like, I'm gunning for MVP, but we'll see. Um, you know, I, I think that, you know, I, I think he's into the discussion. I don't think that it's like a gigantic gap. I mean, honestly, KD's the only one where, you know, right now, Health permitting, I'm putting him like kind of a notch above. But LeBron and Giannis is still, I think, a discussion to me. Harrison, I want to thank you for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you having me, and I appreciate you bearing with me in terms of schedule. I know we had to reschedule a couple times, and you know, but I'm always happy to make it work. And once again, I want to thank Harrison Fagan for coming on the show. I appreciate it, and I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 331st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk. Slice, got the bonus.